You didn't know me back in my time. You don't know the things I've done. I've heard stories. It happened in slow motion. The titles didn't come. And then there was a field so green, I thought we were at Hobbiton. (laughs) I literally wrote in my notes, looks like Hobbiton. It's so green. Hey, what are they building? Who is building it? What show is this? What show is this? And then who do we know that has sandy hair? I I had time to think that. Who do we know? Because this was clearly going to be a reveal of a familiar character, the way the camera panned up mm-hmm. on the field. Who's working? Who's working here? Who do, you who think, do we know? Though, I mean, who would be the most obvious choice? Because when I was watching, the first thing that came to mind was, it's going to be Gendry. That's what I thought. Really? That was exactly what I thought, but he doesn't have sandy hair. As soon as we saw like the little curl in the back of the neck, I was like, this isn't Gendry. Who's it going to be? And I was shocked. I felt like I knew it was the hound. Really? From when? Yeah. Okay, what point at what point between like all of the shots of the field and the men working, like what Like what before was it the episode t- started, do you guys think the hound's coming back this episode? I literally <sighs> said that at dinner. Well we were invited to dinner first of all. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> where I spilled all my Game of Thrones spoilers. <laughs> to your grandparents? Mm-hmm. Well, I felt like I mean this isn't necessary. With Ian McShane, and we knew that something was going to be going on this episode, right? Yeah. And there's oh, been speculation great. about who he was going to be, and so I just assumed that he was going to have some role with the Hound. And he was, yeah, he was phenomenal with the Hound. Huh. He, he okay. all but revealed that in an interview, by the way. For for those <laughs> oh, who <God. laughs> listen to the show, who aren't aware of this fact, he did an interview a couple months ago before the season premiered, where he actually pretty much without saying the exact name of the character, said that he was going to be involved in bringing back a very important individual who was thought to be dead. And um, so here we have it. I mean, just an amazingly written episode, too, from start to finish. Brian a lot Cogman, of characters came back. Mad props, sir. Not just the Hound. No, you're right. Um, you know, we got a lot of... This episode for me was own after own after own. And that was something I was a little, I had a little bit of trepidation going in because this is the shortest episode this season that we'll get. Mm. Uh, eight minutes so, left. Yeah. That's what I you want tweeted. those eight minutes back. I guess hey, we'll get them in the finale. Thrones, you left some minutes out of this episode. Mm-hmm. You're going to nail a letter to their, to the door of their offices, which, uh, you know where they are, right? Aren't they in New York? Yeah. I can walk by them tomorrow and, uh, well, there you go. Nail it to the door and stuff. But, uh, but no, I mean, this, this episode for me. This was probably, we say this after every episode, one of us does, don't we? But this is my favorite episode this season. And you know who else's favorite episode this will be for this season? Zach's. Because- It's number one. The Hound, Mm. his number one, is back. Zach loves the Hound. building an axe. And who knows what he's going to do with it. And uh, Zach, I think he just was too overcome with emotion and and was unable to, uh, Mm -hmm. to be here with us, unfortunately- uh, he will be back on Wednesday's episode, but um, yeah, this was just such an unbelievable return for a character. I-, I felt like this episode was filled with characters returning. We had Bronn, we had Blackfish, I'm probably missing somebody else, but just to see all those familiar faces, I feel like the writing has done a very good job of 
kind of consolidating different themes into different episodes. And this was an episode really that when you talk about the the title, The Broken Man, uh, mm-hmm. it could have been referring to Ian McShane's character. It could have been referring to the Hound. It could have been referring to Theon. It could have been referring uh, you know, to, to a number of different characters in this episode. And I just love the fact that they are able to write it in that way. You know, this this episode was bookended by by hound scenes, and there were there were plenty of them even peppered in between. This was, if we had to pick a, a character that this episode centered around, even though we got so many scenes from so many different areas, uh, the hound would be it. And mm-hmm. this is this is something that I'm still you know coming to terms with, having just seen the episode and got on to record. The hound is 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 still alive. Yeah, and it. I mean, it's implied that he didn't actually die. Yeah, right. Which and it's not is new. It's not that Ian Machine brought him back, knowing the ways of the Red God, the way Beric and Darien, and the uh, the, the men, uh, brother without banners, you know, that we're accustomed to seeing. It's it's just that after all uh, that, after all of his wounds, the Hound just refused to succumb to them, despite how brutal they were, fueled by uh, hate. Fueled by hate. It's according to him. According maybe to him. it was maybe it was something else, you know, that he's not quite ready to admit yet. Like uh, I don't know, love. That is shocking to me, though, Hannah. I'm, I'm interested in what you think, and Eric, you too, from what we had all anticipated from the books. The Hound, if he was going to be brought back, would be brought back in a similar capacity to Beric Dondarrion, and now it seems like he survived, and, mm-hmm. and that is just mind blowing because you you think of the characters that have been brought back to life mentioned Beric, but also Jon Snow mm. earlier this season. It, it it would seem like somebody who's left for dead on the side of the road in this type of uh, environment, in this type of world, is not going to be coming back. You might as well just write them off. And and that was what was so shocking about it for me, because again, I, you know, off screen deaths, it's like, oh, they could come back because we didn't see them die. Stannis. And even sometimes when we, yeah, Stannis even is sometimes still alive. We, Stannis is next, guys. <laughs> uh, but I, but you know, there's also the idea that even if they do die, they can be brought back by magic. But I'm, I still just was not expecting the Hound to be back. And now, yeah, I can't. I love it, and I can't. I can't figure out what to make of it because this this is like okay so this this episode going into it i thought you know there's a very very good chance that arya can survive that 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 in fact i believe i speculated on on last week's episodes uh that arya was in was in no danger at all like i didn't believe there was any chance that she could be in danger and then this episode turns around it had so many surprises and of course Arya is in danger and and uh, appears to be wounded uh quite severely and but but now i'm thinking look at what they did in this episode they brought the hound back like i cannot i i still think there's like just so much hope surrounding all the characters that we love surviving now uh mm-hmm. because because of this one generous act of returning the hound to us. Mm-hmm. I am glad though, and I know that we'd speculated before that if the hound came back, like you were saying, Micah, he would come back by Beric Dondarrion, by this magic that we have learned about. And I'm I'm glad that he it's been implied that he didn't actually die and that he wasn't I mean maybe he maybe there was sort of something that helped him live and hang on. But I, I my worry has been that this whole season would be everyone comes back to life and I, I don't like by that. magic. As a, yeah, it almost feels like a cop-out, and I hate saying that, but I didn't want just, like, the Hound, us to find Lady Stoneheart, Jon Snow. Like, I didn't want, like, all these people to be coming back to life so easily. 
Um, and so I'm glad mm-hmm. that it didn't necessarily turn out that way, that, that we get the hound without it being another magic thing. Right. That he according just according to him, on. it's just because he's a big fucker and he's tough to kill. Yeah. Uh, but but <laughs> right. I mean, that, because, uh, and, and the, the, the great thing about that too is that uh, Ian McShane's character of the Septon, whom I loved, that was a brilliant performance and so great to see him on TV uh, again. But, uh, you know, that character still asserted that there was a reason and a purpose behind the existence, behind the Hound's continued mm-hmm. survival. And, and e- so even though a, a god or a mysterious power did not, so far as we know, directly intervene in keeping the Hound alive, there's still this idea of fate and destiny and that he has tasks to fulfill or, as Lost would say, work to do. Um, you know, and, and ultimately I see his storyline because now this is something that we are blessed to speculate about. Where will he go from this village? I, and, you know, I think the episode did a great job of kind of hinting at. He's going to create his own list now and, and go after <laughs> these people. But he learned from the best. The fact that he had the conversation with Ian McShane's character about mm-hmm. the gods, that to me was just a clear indication having come into it anticipating that he was brought back as we've mentioned now through some sort of magic mm. when Ian McShane's character says and he lists out all the gods you know the seven the old gods the lord of light I don't even know their real names <laughs> right they, they could all be the same thing right mm-hmm. I like it, that it, it, who knows the answer to the question and so that was an indication to me that this man is no red priest. He's no Thoros Amir, who's another right. character that we learned about is going to be making an appearance this season. So that even further fueled the speculation that perhaps Thoros was going to be bringing back the Hound at some point. And now we're here and the Hound is back. He clearly has an agenda. I wouldn't want to be either of those three men uh, that showed up at at the camp, or, no. or the rest of the brotherhood. Are we are we supposed to believe that that was in fact the brotherhood? I th- think so. Curious. I mean, well, the hound speculated that it was a brotherhood, and that mm. was my first guess when I saw them. But I guess we don't really know for sure. I I, th- I think it's clear to me that now that the hound is well, not back, but still alive and back on the show. Uh, he needs to team up with Ari again. They just need to pick up where they left off, <laughs> traveling team. the countryside together. <laughs> the dream team, they're back. Uh, you know, Hound Arya, she doesn't have her dire wolf, so she's got the hound instead. Not yet. Um, I mean, she can oh still God. find Nymeria when she gets back to Westeros. She could have two hounds. That'd be awesome. True. My question is, what what has the hound been doing? You know, if, if he wasn't brought back to life, I assume that he, of course, whatever state he was in needed to be nursed back to health. But right. why was he staying there for as long as... I mean, I guess we don't know how long he was with them, but what was keeping him in that camp? I think it was searching for a greater purpose. I think that it was uh, just just doing something different than raping, pillaging, and killing. You know, I, I think it was because this, this alternative lifestyle was presented to him in a time. Maybe he felt indebted as well as a result of this man nursing him back to health. But, you know, it, it's it's kind of the labor that they were doing there and going and, and seeing like the bread line or not even bread line, but like fish and, and everything that they were eating. It was a self-sustaining community nearly. And uh, they were building that, that structure, which could have been a windmill. You know, I, I, I'm pretty sure it could be identified on a reviewing, but who knows what it was really uh, except that it was, it was good work. You know, these are honest people and in the riverlands where it's clearly 
you know, you're not out of danger yet, people. Um, clearly, clearly, double clearly as a result of the end of this episode. But, you know, I, I think that's what it was for the hound, that that it was a chance to do uh, an honest day's work. And uh, Ian McShane's character of the Septon uh, says it's never too late to to turn back and and to do some good. And I think that was uh, entrancing and the hound was just toying with, well, maybe that's true. Second chances. I think that was a theme in part in this episode as well. And, and I yeah. think that he sees it as an opportunity and he, he had a bit of a second chance with Arya as well. And I, and I think the relationship yeah. that they developed over the course of the time that they spent together changed him. And I think now this situation that he finds himself in, the people that he has lived with for however long a period of time, the man who is responsible for bringing him back to life have all been killed. And I think that that is going to maybe in part bring back the hound that we knew early on in this series. I mean, we have not seen him for at least about a season and a half, right? He he died at the end of season four, supposedly. Mm. Uh, Arya left him on the side of the road before she headed off to Bravos. So it, it's interesting that she should be on the cusp of coming back to Westeros when he mm-hmm. now has reemerged. That's why it felt it felt like the the gears were turning and that this was some <laughs> grandmaster like plan for it. Um, I love writing, it. Yeah, I mean, but I, but I wonder if Arya would if he if he has a list. I wonder if Arya's on it, frankly, mm-hmm. because it can't have been painless uh, sitting on the side of the road and gradually um, bur- uh, overexposing himself to death uh, in the sunlight. Well. Um, well, you're saying because Arya didn't give him mercy and mercy, didn't kill him. Yeah. Um, it was, in fact, of course, Brienne who inflicted those he, wounds upon him. You know, and something about that, too, is when he was telling the Septon that story as well, and the Septon's like, ah, oh, some big fucker must have killed he's you. He's cutting the wood. Yeah, and, and he just says, oh, it was a woman. He's not too angry about it. I mean, he's clearly like, oh, this is embarrassing in a way. Yeah, I but don't I think, think he has it out for Arya. I don't think he even has it out for Brienne. I think he has made some sort of peace. I don't know this, this, I don't want to say pacifist vibe, but like this, this man's aura has surrounded everyone there. And, and granted there aren't many killers among them from the looks of things. I think probably the Septon himself and the Hound were the only ones uh, who had done the sorts of things that the Septon was talking about in could be called a sermon. Um, but, you know, I, I think it really has changed the Hound in some profound way that we're yet to see, although I don't think it would mean that for one second he would spare the people uh, who are, you know, the bullies who came and, and tried to take their lunch money. Not yeah, at all. So. There, there's still that streak of vengeance that runs deep within him. And, and you could see it in part when the Septon was telling the story about how he cut the boy's throat and the mother was screaming for mercy. It, He'd been there. It was it He'd been exactly back there. a little bit to the the backstory between the mountain and the hound and and their relationship when when the hound asks uh if the guys are real why haven't they punished me and uh the septon looks straight at his face and it's like they have uh Mm -hmm. that reminded me of the mountain like what the what his brother had done to him and the fact that he's burned and wounded and and all this stuff in his life that that stood out to me as being Mm -hmm. yeah that was an interesting question from the hound i would have felt like we all could have looked back on his life and assumed that he'd been punished for something (laughs) right i mean i I mean, does he just walk around feeling hashtag blessed 24-7? I mean, that's not... I just thought that was interesting that he assumes he should have received greater punishment or that dying is the greatest punishment that he could receive. So I thought that was an interesting attitude. But 
yeah, it's going to be, I, my major question is, where is he going to go next? Like what, who, and, and what's he going to be like is, I think we, we've been saying we, he still has glimmers of the hound as we know and love him. Um, but how, how has he been changed based on the time that he spent with these people? And I, I think that that's hard to answer that question until we actually see him come face to face with whether it's the brotherhood or whoever those people are, or if he heads back to where the action is. Well, he, picks up an axe as you mentioned and if you remember the axe was the weapon that he was using outside of the red wedding when he hits Arya in the back of the head mm-hmm. so i didn't know if there was any symbolism there perhaps and he had something in his flask or water bottle and that made me just <laughs> well he he, he <laughs> managed to sort of he managed to sort of peace out while an entire village of people were so slaughtered and and he only came at like that the very was the only thing that just chopping wood was the a very little suspect last, to me yeah the very last scream of the very last woman managed to catch his ear thank god mm-hmm. um but uh I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he suffers from blackouts. Maybe he, you know, still on the <laughs> he recovery was in the process. Zone. Like he's uh, in the I'm zone. Not sure about that. <laughs> he was, he was, uh, he was owning some wood. Yep. Uh, I, I do feel like we're we're dancing around talking about Arya a little uh, bit. Well, let's of let's let's go. <laughs> let's let's go for it, guys. I mean, this is. Are, let's are do you it. able to compose yourself? I feel like the last few minutes of that episode uh, gave you a little bit yeah. of trouble. Well, so Micah, you're like. Where's the rest of the episode? Eight more minutes. And I'm yeah. thinking, I've had enough of this episode. <laughs> I don't need to watch Arya wander through the streets clutching her stomach for eight more minutes. Um, yeah. I mean, I... Yeah. Arya got stabbed multiple times in the ab- abdomen. And now she's stumbling through the streets of Bravos with blood dripping everywhere. I have a um, theory. You have a theory. And I, I like your theory. Well, so why don't you this tell is it? actually a theory on is top of Is this a different theory? theory? Is, this, is this the one you shared with us earlier today that made me lose my mind a little? Yeah, well, I, w- I wasn't going to go there first. In terms of Arya wandering through the streets, dripping blood from her guts, I, I think Lady Crane is going to save her. Yeah, I, think I like that too. I was hoping. She go, She's sort of the repaid. only friend Arya has guaranteed in Bravos right now. So I, I was And she owes it for, to her almost. Well, Arya saved yeah. her. well, I mean, does Lady Crane know that Arya saved her life? I don't know. I think she so. does. Yeah, I think that understood. was pretty clear. Yeah, um, so I would say that if she's going to be saved by anybody, yeah, I like that a lot, that it's going to be Lady Crane. I was hoping that we would see her um, and at least get like a some sort of glimpse of recognition before leaving her alone no, for a on. week. <laughs> you know you're going to get that cliffhanger, Hannah. No, I hate it. But speaking of it. Arya and th- that particular scene... I thought it was very reminiscent. We don't get it in the show. We get it in the books. Uh, the talk of how her mother, Lady Catalan, was dumped into the river. Mm. And then, of course, we know that even though she does not survive, that she is revived uh, by the Brotherhood, by Thoros of Mir, as Lady Stoneheart. And a lot of speculation has been made about Lady Stoneheart. I know you guys talked about it last week on on the show. And I saw this really great theory that came out of of an interview that Yahoo did with both Maisie Williams and Sophie Turner. It was two truths and a lie. And uh, I think people know generally how that game works. And so where it all netted out was the theory that Arya is going to steal Catalan's face from the House of Black and White and return to Westeros as Catalan Stark and just go on a fray killing spree. 
And I love this. I love this theory. I, I It's one of the best theories that I've heard in a long time, and I hope it comes true. How do you, what do you think about the theory now that, that you've seen this episode? Because we were discussing this morning that the waif, and this could still be up for debate, has some sort of fray connection. Um, that's been something that's been speculated a little bit, um, which may not have part in this theory anymore. But do you still feel like this is a strong contender after seeing tonight's episode? That the waif could help her in some way? Or just that you still think that she could take Catalan's face? I do still think she could. Well, she didn't have Needle on her. So I wouldn't be surprised right. uh, if she did attempt something along those lines. I think she's still going to pay the waif back. Whether or not the waif has a connection to Walder Frey, I, I just thought it was very suspect the way that she reacted when... Arya mentioned that name. There was that moment where she turned around and then she said, is that all you have on your list? Right. It could have been nothing mm -hmm. or it could have been something, I guess, right, time right. will tell. But we also know there's the scene with Arya running and, and jumping uh, over over and a wall. Part, how does she do that with her guts? Uh, you know, she's essentially yeah. been eviscerated. <laughs> so I guess she's okay. Run. It takes, takes great <laughs> abdominal strength to, to leap forward like that. You know, I... I, Why would I you think, run if you didn't steal something? Mm, you know, no, I, I, I love that. Unless I you're love running that. for your I, life. That, I, look, that I, love, I love everything about this. I, and I think that no matter who heals her, um, and I hope it's Lady Crane, I expected her to walk into the sort of the uh, residence of the troop uh, at the end of this episode, but I'm clearly it'll happen next week. I have a feeling that she will find a way to recover, and I love, based on the theory you shared, the idea that she'll make off. Um, you know, but not without paying a visit to the house of black and white for one reason or two or another. I think, yeah. though, based on this attack that happened tonight from the waif and, and she was disguised as an old woman, I think it really is meant to illustrate and point out that Arya has and, and still does have a lot to learn. Um, Arya should have been on her guard the way that she was when she blew the fire out last week. She should have been, uh, you know... Anyone who comes within uh, two feet of her to six feet of her, she should assume at this point, based on what she knows, she should assume they're out to get her. And yeah. this old this old woman completely managed, granted she didn't see her coming, but managed to be that close to her and say something like, oh, sweet girl. And she turned around, didn't flinch, but turned around right into the woman who, who bladed her, shivved her, whatever you want to call it. It's very Ollie-like, sadly. But, um, you know, this, this was too easy for the waif. That was, that was what upset me the most was, oh, she, you know, the waif totally, totally owned her right then and there. Yeah. I think that, that did, it's, it's, it, it surprised me that she hasn't been a little bit more on her guard. She seems a little cocky about it, but I'm gonna let it slide because it's Arya Stark. Well, yeah. And, and, and what a badass getaway, you know, I mean, she essentially, she knew that she could escape through, through you know, jumping into the water and not resurfacing in, mm -hmm. in her vision. Confirm that, the kill though, Waif. She yeah, should know better. Yeah. Confirm the kill. <laughs> I, I love that you said that. My question too is why the gut? Because, I mean, is it ultimately there are a lot quicker ways to die. So maybe it was that she, I mean, you know, uh, a gut wound is one of the slowest and most painful ways to die. I'm pretty sure that was even said on this show, but medically it also is in real life. And so is it that the Wave wanted to cause the most pain possible to Arya? I think that's very likely. But at the same time, not just confirm the kill, but like, 
unless you're saving the face because you want to wear it someday, like just stab her in the face or slit her throat or do any any number of things that guarantee she won't get away. You have the element of surprise. If what you really want is Arya dead, don't dick around with it. Um, but you know the stabs to the gut. And, she and, did stab uh, her a couple times, though, a and then she times. and then she fell into the water. So I mean, I mean she, she jumped into the water. I mean, it was yeah. not there. There was a high railing that Arya had to vault over to get you know away. And I think it was all because the wave did not. I mean, she went for the gut, but that's that was not perhaps the most direct. It best reminded way. me of Talisa, yeah, mm-hmm. and that horrific scene at the red you know, wedding I, I spent most of this episode wondering if sansa is now pregnant with ramsey's kid i didn't uh, even begin to think of that Arya. <laughs> like you know i mean i understand what you're saying it's exactly like what caused Lady you Julissa. to think that uh just um you know la- the way that uh the way that liana mormont looked at sansa and and seemed to suggest uh you know we'll see didn't she say something about uh you know sansa's claiming you know that she's a stark and she's like is she a bolton all of this really and and i think um talking with people beforehand everybody was like well what if sansa's pregnant is that why she's dishonest to john and we see more of that this episode too i mean her sending a letter without john's wishes like why is she doing all this and you know to what extent does she know so sansa kind of creeped me out a lot uh in this episode i i worried about her i just wanted to say before we move on to sansa that the reason micah why i like your theory so much about Arya Lady Stoneheart is because I think we've had a big question mark about how Arya fits into the whole story. I think we've talked about now that she's leaving the House of Black and White, like what's she going to do and where's she going to go and what's her purpose, her greater purpose? Because she's just been kind of out of the picture for a long time. And so I like that this idea of her taking on this Lady Stoneheart type role ties her back into the main storyline. Ties her back into the fray. Yeah, that, <laughs> Ties her back uh, into the fray a little well, that, bit. That shot of her uh, looking, viewing the Titan in this episode. She's standing, looking out at it. She books passage on a ship. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, but her looking at the Titan from the other side, you know, from the other direction of where she's she's going to be leaving Bravos. I, I thought that was an excellent and well orchestrated shot, uh, mm-hmm. well conceived too. Um, that was cool. it's almost nostalgic. It is, for- it is time almost for her to to return and and you know there are many returns it's a return to her roots it's also a return to herself and i i i like the idea that um she'll possibly take ketlin's face with her if it resides in the house of black and white it's possible that the waif and her will have a showdown and the waif will wear the face to trip mm-hmm. her up uh you know i mean imagine if the waif comes at aria as her mom as Catelyn. That's how cool would that be? Insane. That is pretty creepy. Um, I just think that that's yeah, like you're saying, Eric, it's time for her to leave. I think she's she's learned what she's I mean, well, obviously she has to leave. She has no choice. Um, or she's gonna get killed. But I, I don't know there's nothing else that has sparked my interest in what Arya is going to do next, other than this. I think I don't know if you guys have thought of any other things that Arya is going to do when she gets back to Westeros other than start to ch- tick off her list. But to me, that just seems a little... That was another uh, piece of the Two Truths, One Lie game was that she would take care of three people on her list. So mm-hmm. wonder if that's a truth or a lie. But I agree. I, I think her storyline has gotten to a point where why send her to Bravos and have her go through this training in the House of Black and White 
only to have her die on the streets of Bravos. I don't think that that is really a good use of, of her character. But we all know that in this world, stranger things have happened. And to just kill off a character like that could happen. It, it It's not something that's out of the realm of possibility. But if, in fact, she is going back to Westeros, I think she does need a purpose. She does need a way to fit into everything that is going on. And given the fact that Walder Frey was in the last episode, given the fact that we have all of these families coming together at River Run, the Freys, the Lannisters, the Tullys, and everything that's going on in the North, I think that she could fill in a role where she starts to ex- exact revenge for what happened to her family. It's not just going to be Sansa anymore, uh, you know, fighting her battles up in the North. I think something needs to be done to the phrase for what they did at the Red Wedding. It, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, as much as I want to talk about Sansa next, I'd also like just to talk about the phrase since you went there and the river, the river, I mean, we just got a lot of the Riverlands uh, this episode. And I think that, for as much as going as is going on in the north, we're reminded every episode about the threat from the dead, and you know the recruiting in this episode of John and and Sir Davos and Sansa was an amazing part of the episode that we'll also talk about. But for me, there's a lot more going on in the Riverlands. Like the show is slowly with the Frey uh, appearance last week, and the characters heading there. And I know we've even talked about this before, but there's there's they're clearly setting up uh, a pretty large plot point. Several characters who we wouldn't even expect are traveling to the Riverlands, or the ones that come back to life and are, are in the Riverlands, like the Hound, uh, are all there. And it's it's clear that something that the show is is making a, a big effort to um, revive the, all the plot lines that take place there because it's going to pay off. Right, and and bringing back characters that we haven't seen for seasons. Edmure. Edmure, who was in last episode but hadn't been for quite some time. The Blackfish makes a return. Bronn is back. All these characters that we've come to know and love or hate in some capacity are finally all coming together for what appears to be a showdown. Battle for River Run. Have you seen the pre... Did you see the preview? Did you catch the preview of next week Mm -hmm. after the... I mean, we... Pretty much, and I don't want to spoil anybody. We get the Brienne and Jamie reunion that we've been get hype, get hype for yeah, it, I'm really, everyone. Yeah, I'm excited about what's going to go down in the Riverlands. I love Blackfish is just like not having it. Like they're coming, the phrase are coming at him with Edmure, like we're going to chop his head off or we're going to hang him <laughs> or whatever, and he's like, all right. And then Jamie comes up and is like, we're going to starve you out or we're going to fight you, and he's like, okay. Like yeah. I'm, I was born in this castle. I'm going to die in this castle. So like, mm-hmm. good as luck. As long I guess. as I am standing, the war is not over. What a guy! Yeah, he's just not impressed by anything that's going on, which I think is so cool. And not by Jamie. He made not that by very Jamie clear. at all. Uh, yeah. And, oh, I that ja- the Jamie Blackfish stuff in this episode. Like, who, who who could expect that this was going to happen? And Jamie tried, and Jamie did a great job running up to the the phrase and showing them basically handing them their asses uh, and, and and pointing out everything that they were doing wrong. But uh, still, he did not leave even the smallest mark on uh, on the Blackfish. And it's funny because 
Cersei before Jamie left was like basically implied, at least in my opinion, of let's take back that castle because it's ours and it won't be that hard. Let's just do mm. it real <laughs> quick. At least that's the implication that I felt like she right. was saying. And now here we are <laughs> trying to take it back real quick and it's not happening. We have enough provisions to last for two years. Do you have two years? <laughs> I mean, yeah, we do not, not. We don't have yeah. two years as the audience, so <laughs> we don't have and time We know for that. winter is coming, right? We got that sense from the camp scene with John and Davos and, yeah. and the wildlings when they said that Stannis had stayed there, and you know, he said the snow just as much defeated Stannis as the Boltons did. So mm-hmm. eventually, that weather is going to make its way towards River Run, and you can imagine if the Blackfish and his soldiers have enough provision for two years that that Lannister army and, and Frey army and any others that join them is not going to be able to wait it out for that long a period of time. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, then again, they need those provisions to last winter too. So they may seek to resolve uh, the war in some way that does not involve waiting two years. Let's hope so. Yeah, I'm excited. I, uh, I think that this... Especially this episode was very much of setting up the pieces, especially in the Riverlands. Like, let's pull it together and get ready for whatever this battle is going to look like. So I'm really excited for next episode. I know it's kind of early to start getting excited for next week, but (laughs) I just think that we've set the pieces here. And we're on episode seven. I know. (laughs) Out of ten, we have three. Only three more to go. Left. So it was cool to kind of watch them set this up and get get in place before... Like you said, we're going to see um, Brienne in the next episode. Let's fight. I thought this episode was very much a Game of Thrones episode at its core, meaning not as much of the magical element to it, but more of the strategic element to it, the actual game being played. There was the mention of the White Walkers by Davos, but mm. overall, did you get that sense? I mean, mm-hmm. whether you were talking about what was happening in the North with John and Davos and Sansa trying to form their alliance or what was happening in the Riverlands, what was happening out in Volantis with the Greyjoys, talking about wanting to ally themselves with Daenerys. (laughs) They stole Euron's plan. (laughs) Yeah. And then King's Landing as well. Yeah, King's Landing as well, like with Olena and with mm -hmm. Marjorie. 100%. Agree. Like, there's a lot of politicking going on in this episode and kind of... None of it was boring. There were no boring small council scenes. There were no incompetent Tommens about... No farting. No, you know, it it just, it really, (laughs) it it felt... It was so compelling from from start to finish. In I, all I never got a chance to talk about the the last episode, but mm. and, and and the reason why I, I'm bringing up th- this idea of this episode being more of a Thrones type of episode is because I really didn't like the ending to last week's episode. I thought here's Danny up on our pulpit again. This time it happens to be Drogon, and it just how many times is she going to do this? How many times is she going to you know get the rally cry going? You know, everybody cheering and and I forgive me if you guys talked about this, but I, I just thought it, it, it's like the hundredth time that they've done this. And it's like the hundredth time that at the end of an episode, oh, by the way, we need to get Danny in there. So at like 55 minutes in, we're going to throw it out to Marine or throw it out to Vias Dothrak. And you're going to get like this really awesome scene from like a CGI standpoint, but it just feels like we've seen it over and over and over again. I, I think that something that's comforting to me, uh, especially seeing the Greyjoys 
in Essos, uh, in Volantis, was it? Um, for, for me, you know, the long bridge whoring and Portheon. Okay, but, maybe, uh, maybe you didn't agree with what I said. I, I think that for me, what's comforting is that it'll clearly be so different in just a few episodes time that we won't be saying we've seen something before. You know, regards regarding your point uh, on last week's episode, sure, I can see that. But in a couple episodes from now, mm-hmm. we won't be saying that because these characters who've never interacted before will be thrust into each other's graces. And, you know, essentially, we won't even be able to recognize through placement of these characters in these new unique locations, uh, resurrections of certain ones and new powers that others have found. You know, it it will be so different. And if this season has shown us anything, it's that it'll be so different quite soon. It, it's just a very slow burn, I think, with, with, with her for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the, the, the lack of connection between Westeros and, and and in this case, let's say Marine, we got it when Tyrion and Varys show up. But now you're right. The fact that you could be bringing another set of characters into the fold in Yara and and Theon, I think it could set up a really great strategic alliance that could give Danny the ships that she needs in order to sell back to King's Landing and start to try and reclaim what she believes to be rightfully hers. Well, and and now the thing with Yara and, and, and Theon here, you know, she says, uh, we've got fast ships. We shouldn't really worry about our brother. Uh, I was rewatching the end, the Danny scene from last week's episode. And uh, she, at one point, Danny asks, uh, I believe it's just Dario, uh, how many ships they would need to get all of their men uh, across the sea and he does the math and says oh at least a thousand probably more and going back I, I didn't have a chance to look it up but i think a thousand is the exact number that euron said they should build on the iron islands maybe i'm wrong did he say a hundred uh ships do you guys remember well either way there's no trees on the iron Islands, so i don't know how they're going to build yeah, any ships but i mean so my but my theory <laughs> with the my theory with yara and theon is that they'll treat with danny and tell her more ships are on the way, knowing full well that their brother's coming to get Danny. And maybe they'll somehow, you know, court her favor uh, so that Euron can be betrayed. Um, or, you know, she can just take his ships. Because they don't quite have enough ships uh, in their little fleet that they got away with to do the work themselves. They still need, it's still a deficit of, uh, I assume, several hundred ships. If I've learned anything, though, from the season of Game of Thrones, and especially this episode is I'm not going to worry too much about how people get from point A to point B. Yeah, for real. <laughs> because I feel like it's been... I think that you're... Like, if we're going to talk logistics, I think that we could run into a lot oh, of sorry, problems. sorry, was I boring you? No, no, no. You're not boring me at all. But what I'm saying is, like, these are all legitimate questions that I would have worried about before. But now that we've got mm. this episode where where we've got, um, like, Sansa and John and Davos are on every major house of the North, yeah. Or we've had Littlefinger flying across the country um, to arrive where he needs to be. I, I'm I not maintain worried that's about continuity it. error. That's that's an or, actual or the error. Joys. I mean, they got to Essos very very quickly. Right. So yeah. if one day Danny just shows up in Westeros because she just showed up in Westeros, I'm just gonna have to be like, all right. <laughs> I guess we'll read about it in the books. So. But that was a great scene between brother and sister, and. It, I feel for for Theon, 
how could you not in that situation? You could see the frustration on his face being in a brothel given his condition and just the way that his sister was able to bring him back. You know, for how long did Ramsey torture him? How long did Ramsey beat him into thinking that he was reek? And in those few moments, you could see you know the the title of this episode was the broken man and and no, there's probably no person in this series that that describes more than Theon Reek mm-hmm. and just the way that he was able to be brought back and the job that his sister did knowing that Theon has returned i mean there were there were glimpses of it throughout the last let's say season or so but the, that look that he gave her you could tell that He's going to do everything that he can to support her moving forward. I certainly hope so. Um, and and I love how basically direct she was with him. I mean, she explained that she needed him, and not just this pansy ass represent like this this former, uh, you know, obviously very wounded shell of a man that he was before. I don't know the exact quote. I'm sure it's in my notes somewhere, but uh, that that you know, she tells him to go slit his wrists if he's not willing to to be the brother that she once had because that's who she needs right now. And it was just, it was very matter of fact and it was very straightforward. And I don't think it left, I mean, it left no questions and that's maybe that's just how the Ironborn are and I'm admiring them for, you know, staying true to their identity. But Yara was so good in this episode and said, I believe what he, exactly what he needed to hear Mm -hmm. for like the 10th time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she says, I'll never hurt you. And she says that, you escaped. I've got your back. I mean, she's, she's supporting Mm -hmm. Theon and he's making these comments about, well, if we're going to get justice and I should be hanging in Winterfell for everything I've done. And she's like, look, you and me, we're going to figure this out. Like we're going to fight for our family. And that's all that matters now. But I need you exactly like you're saying. I I need the real Theon. Yeah. Okay. I found the quote, not this rat shit pretender. There we go. I knew I had to find the exact quote. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That was that I good. I like that quote. <laughs> I really like it. But I, th- I, I agree. I thought that there was an incredible episode between the two of them and it just brought back, it brought back so many, the look on his face brought back so many memories of him being tortured and, um, and I'm sure that being in a situation like that has got to be incredibly uncomfortable and, triggering for him and so i just remember how forward he was with Roz uh early on and even when he first met yara after being away from the iron islands so long and was handsy with her uh and in the books i think he's handsy with the ship's daughter the the ship captain's daughter on the way to pike uh you know and and that's just that was uh who he was and then and with so, his sister once he arrived yeah. on the island yeah and with his so sister. I, I honestly think that uh you know, she says, I know you've had some bad years. That really gets to him. And I know that Theon, we've had a rough relationship with Theon throughout the entirety of this series, but I'm excited for him to get back to who he is. I mean, maybe we haven't always liked him and he hasn't always made great decisions, but I want that spark back in him. You know, and I think that it's going to be interesting to see him and Yara find Danny. And, and get some of that fire back in him, as I'm hoping. I wonder what Tyrion would have to say about Yara and Theon showing up and trying to court Danny. I wonder what advice he would give her. Obviously, 
They're good with ships, but I don't know that it's clear that they can be trusted. I mean, essentially, I think everyone who knows anything about the Seven Kingdoms knows that the Iron Men are, are in it for themselves. And I think Tyrion's council would be pretty much, you know, as much as that, like, for his, they, they barely, for to me, the Iron uh, Born, and this is coming strictly from a show viewing potential at this point, because I haven't even gotten to the King's Moot in the books. Um, you know, for me, they seem like the the most leaderless group or the most likely to, to have a, a mutiny, essentially. Like, you know, if Yara and Theon's shit goes south, the men could abandon because and, and they wouldn't even be necessarily betraying their oaths because they're fueled by who is the strongest. Right. That's the whole reason the King's Moot was even allowed to happen. And you have so many people vying for the salt throne because they just, you know, they view power and taking what's theirs and there's a sense of pride that's tied to the community but it's actually also just about taking what you want you know we do not sow this that the other thing and so i i think that if things were to go south for yara and theon unfortunately you know they couldn't necessarily count on their men and i think Tyrion would be smart enough to know that as well and we wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by blue apron Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, or heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron is bringing you the best. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. New recipes are created each week by Blue Apron's culinary team and are not repeated within a year. So in the month of June, the meals that are available include spicy Korean rice cakes with snow peas and pea shoots, sweet chili ponzu catfish and green beans with coconut ginger rice, and New England-style salmon rolls with roasted potatoes and chives. Sounds really good. Yeah, sounds incredible. It sounds delicious. (laughs) And healthy, by the way. It's also very flexible. You can customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. You can choose delivery options to fit your needs. And there's no weekly commitment. So you only get deliveries when you want them. Also, and finally, it's easy. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card, pre-portioned ingredients, and can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. And I would just say that uh, that last part is huge. You know, just working all the time. I know all of us do here. The fact that you can get it delivered right to you and make it in 40 minutes or less without too much effort Mm -hmm. and it's good and nutritious, Mm -hmm. that says a lot. It's a game changer. Yeah. So you can check out this week's menu and get two free meals with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash owns. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash owns. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. I think that them showing up in Marine shouldn't take away from the fact that Danny could still run into Euron prior to arriving back there, right? There's this sense that just because they're going to look for Daenerys, that they're going to find her. And we all know that Marine is void of, of her right now. She's not there. That's fair. So I wouldn't be surprised if the crow's eye finds his way to Danny before Danny is able to meet up with Theon and, and Yara. And look, Tyrion had a scene, albeit very brief, right, with 
with Theon all the way back in season one when they're talking about Roz. And I just think that Tyrion, to your point, is too smart. He knows what Theon did. He knows what he was responsible for. And I think that his reputation will precede him in that sense. Though, look, what what do they say? Like, war makes strange bedfellows. So (laughs) this show proves that to be true time and time and time yeah. again. So That's a very good point. We will see how all of that uh, ends up playing itself out. I mean, Theon's own men betrayed him at Winterfell because they didn't have confidence in his leadership abilities. So, yeah, I don't, don't, don't feel too good about this Greyjoy expansion that's happening uh, here. But it obviously mm-hmm. makes for great television because I right. remain enthralled. And, and in the books, the, the, the king's mood is this whole big to do, and it, it's not just Euron and and you know Yara. Theon isn't even there. Uh, you mm-hmm. have Marion, right. who is another brother of Balon Greyjoy's, who who's vying for it. And you know, it, it's the, you think about these these chairs, right? The sea stone chair, the iron throne, all, all these different chairs. Like, what do they really mean at the end of the day? And I think that was Davos's point in his conversation to Liana Mormont, which I don't know where they find their child actors, but <laughs> another good she one. She was incredible. Gold. She was badass. Yeah. Loved her. Her and Shireen, the two of them. You know, I, I honestly think that that's why Davos had the upper hand here. I mean, Davos is, is obviously 100%. the world's greatest mediator, but he's interacted with a girl her age before and had a warm relationship. And I couldn't help but feel that like, not that it was against her will, but Liana Mormont genuinely liked Davos and his approach to her seeming to know that she was about to ask her advisor, for instance, what was House Davos, uh, you know, and calling her and understanding exactly what her thoughts and motivations were and telling her so. Uh, was the key to to winning those uh, mm-hmm. wonderful sixty two men. men? I have to say, <laughs> I saw uh, a tweet um, here which I just I just loved uh, on Facebook from Josh Williams, who said, "My own goes to Liana for living up to the name." And then hashtag J plus L equals sixty two. <laughs> so That's interesting. That's I like that. I like that nice little little um, twist. I do think that this is where Davos comes in hand handy though. And and we see Sansa's mistrust of him, which is a whole nother topic. But I think that, you know, you look at Sansa and John, they haven't had the same type of experience that Davos has. And sure he worked for Stannis and Stannis didn't end up quote unquote winning, but how many men has Davos negotiated with? And 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 how many times has he been in a situation like this where he's able to kind of relate to whoever he's he's um, standing in front of and so I think that his knowledge and his understanding empathy. his empathy exactly that's a good word um, is vital for someone like Sansa and John who are just standing there like because uh, we're Starks because we, we, we're Starks right call the banners see how well that worked with uh, Lord J- J- Glover Lord Glover mm-hmm. see how well that worked with House Glover when Sansa pulled that card it already wasn't going well but when she did that, I mean, she just got shut right out. So you have Davos, right? And his empathy. Think about how many characters, how many pirates he turned to. And pirates are the complete uh, exact example of someone being, you know, in it for yourselves or in it for, for glory, but but not really having an alliance. And how many men did he convince uh, through his various means to support Stannis? 
and go to the the, the, the ends of the earth, mm-hmm. literally, uh, to, in doing so. So Davos is the perfect companion. And, and I know Sansa doesn't trust him. She questions John. oh, you know, this is your primary advisor now. And on one hand, I'm thinking, damn straight he is. On the other hand, I'm thinking, you know, for all that we've seen Davos do in this chapter, and it, it's been amazing since episode one, you know, he never really did grieve for Stannis. And I am I am thinking that something's a little off about that. What do you guys think? Um, I think he was more concerned about Shireen at the end of the day. And I'd, he didn't like the relationship between Melisandre and Stannis. Yeah. I, yeah, I think, I think the Shireen thing moment, is the key there. We don't, we don't know how much he truly grieved because remember when Melisandre returned at the end of of last season you could see the look in his eyes really the 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 emotion came when he was asking about Shireen uh, he he developed such a bond such a relationship with her and and really it was almost as if uh, she was his daughter and I mean, remember he's lost all of his sons in in the show yeah. it's not the case yeah. in the books but in the show he has and He's he's a father at the end of the day. I thought that is what allowed him to really endear himself to Lyanna. And I thought he was even going to mention the fact that he understood the position that she was in because he had lost everything much like she had. And mm-hmm. it was just that connection that having spent so much time with Shireen, he was able to connect with Lyanna, as, as you guys mentioned, as she was having the conversation with John. Oh, well, your last name is still Snow. You're a bastard. Sansa, well, are you a Lannister? Are you a Bolton? What are you exactly? You're not a Stark. <sighs> and and so to have Davos there as the mediator, harken back to when he was at the Iron Bank with Stannis and he was able to, after Show them Stannis the hand. failed miserably, right? He showed them his hand. <laughs> yeah, he, he was able to get them to give Stannis the money that was needed in order for them to, I mean, ultimately, do do. ultimately, he, but they waltz into Stannis's former encampment, you know, today, and there's still there's no reaction, and I'm wondering, did he just was he able to just completely write Stannis off? And I'm not talking about whether you think Stannis alive or dead, because I have different feelings than everybody else about that, but. I'm talking about Davos's ability to keep a clear head. He's immediately breaking up fights that are taking place. He doesn't, it doesn't even give him pause. The situation doesn't give him pause. Interacting with uh, Lyanna Mormont was amazing, but we haven't seen him in any way, shape, or form really, truly take, like, decide what kind of man well, he's going to be. I mean, he saw John come back to life, and I, and he believes Stannis is dead. So I don't know really what sort of choice. I think he's doing what he needs to do to survive. Like I, I think that there's no time to mourn this loss of this man that, you know, we don't know what his feelings were towards him at the end of Stannis's life anyway, just with like Micah was saying with, with everything that happened with Shireen. And so I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if, I don't know what I'm saying. I just don't know what else he would, what, what else we would want him to do necessarily. I mean, I, I'd never rather I'd never rather have uh, anyone else in, in your corner than than Davos. We've said this before with Stannis. I mean, Davos as a point of view character in the books makes Stannis bearable because he loves him so. But then, I mean, the, the, you know, Davos Davos loyalty to the men he gets behind are uh, complete, and 
you know, surefire and you can't get in the middle of them. And seeing him at the wildling camp too, um, you know, again, just, just sort of being there and making sure that things don't go south and, and adjusting, you know, correctly if they do. It just Davos to me is, is, is really, and he's, he's found the man that he's going to get behind till, till the end again. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's funny to see him. We're talking about new beginnings. We're talking about returns. And this was a really like, this was a return to form for Davos too in this episode. Um, mm-hmm. in, in, in that he was able to successfully, it's not even about giving good counsel, but he's, he was able to win these 62 men. And damn it, if they're not worth 10 of the mainlanders, uh, <laughs> and per person. Well, 620. I, yeah. Right, yeah. right. 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 Let's be real here. But yeah. I think that Davos, the thing that's so great about him is that he gets it. He understands. Mm-hmm. And it's like he was saying to Lady Mormont when he was standing in front of her, is that the real threat is between the living and the dead. And this is our war for all of us to be fighting. And I think that he is able to have a clear head. And I think that he's able to reason with people. And John and Sansa are so emotionally invested and not to say that Davos isn't, but this is their family name and this is their house and their livelihood. And, and so I just think that he, I think he's able to really remind everyone constantly that, you know, if we're not live together, die alone, if we're not all band together, then we're going to get wiped out (laughs) by the white walkers. Well, and, it was just so funny that Liana Mormont again, you know, getting back to it, was saying, you know, are, are are you a Bolton? Are you a Lannister? You're not a Stark. You're a Snow. You're not a Stark. And then Davos steps up and says, you know, I'm not any of those houses. In fact, you've never heard of my house. It's fairly new. You know, he he succeeds by by being just so genuine, so humble, and he's even less related to to their cause. And I think it was able to convince him, but uh, you know, convince her to the cause of the living versus the dead. I'm also thinking, though, at this point, and look, this might be a crazy scenario, but at this point, they should just keep a bag full of, like, severed hands of the dead that are still writhing around. Wasn't that a thing at one point in, like, book one? You know, they sent uh, a piece of a white to uh, King's Landing, and I think the only the only reason it wasn't still shocking and terrifying was that it actually decomposed on the way to the point where it couldn't be animated still. But like, they really need to start showing people, I feel like more than telling, oh, the living and the dead. And John mentioned hard home. And I'm, I'm pretty sure Leanna hadn't looked at a map uh, to know where that is. So, you know, these words and these names and these places, but they're in a real position to have proof uh, anymore. This isn't, this isn't the same place where we were five years ago or five seasons ago where a deserter from the Night's Watch can come down with stories of White Walkers and get assassinated because clearly they can't be true. We all know, you know, because we've seen and things that we've we've done that these things exist. And it, it, it stuns me that John wouldn't see the need or these characters wouldn't see the need to really manufacture some sort of hard evidence and proof more than their words. Because ultimately, as shown in this episode, words will only get you so far and I felt like House Glover really needed to Ooh. see a reanimated corpse uh, before they were going to pledge their swords to Stark again. I think that's all great, but where are they going to get the evidence? That that's the real question. I, I mean, they're the last, not going to go yeah. north of the Wall and just hope that a White Walker or a White finds their way to them and then hack them down and then bring them to all these different houses of the I, I understand what done. you're saying. 
Yeah. What? This is something they could have done at hard home or, you know, get yeah. one and, and well, bring I mean, it. They were running for their lives. So I don't, I yeah. don't think that they were necessarily worried about it. And, and that's where my speculation comes. Okay. Maybe it's crazy thought, but no, it's not crazy thought. I understand what you're saying. I think evidence always helps the case, but I think you had a realist in Davos, right? Remember it's Davos who reads the letter and gives it to Stannis that he's the whole reason why they weren't dismissive of what was being asked by the Night's Watch. Mm. It's Davos who gets Stannis and his army to go and sail north to, you know, help them fight the wildlings and eventually, you know, go to battle against the Boltons. But then he is realist in the sense that, okay, Stannis is gone now, but there's a much greater fight that we need to fight here. And, and mm -hmm. Hannah just mentioned this earlier, but uh, maybe it's easier to convince a, a nine or 10 year old girl uh, that uh, these are real things. In fact, I mean, you mentioned hard home, but John also mentions the fist of the first men where, where Gior was killed. And, and so I, I just think that, yeah, it, 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 you're able to convince the wildlings, but they've seen it. They they know it's real. Able to convince the Mormons, it's a small group. Um, but then, yeah. like you said, when you get to the Glovers, they don't want anything to do with it. They feel like they've already taken their losses. They feel like you know Rob led them astray. And that was and so did. interesting, wasn't that? I think it's <sighs> cool to see. It's really cool to see the effect of past actions. What Rob's campaign did was on these other houses that we weren't even thinking about. I mean, what was he saying? That where was King Rob when the Ironborn took his castle and when his family was put into jail? And I mean, I'm pretty sure he was dead. But still, I mean, he said right. taking up taking up with a foreign whore and getting those around him killed. Yeah, so it's, it's that interesting. Was, that's exactly right. Yeah. And I think that it, it was very interesting to see them standing in front of the, in the Glover home and, and Sansa's response with believing that just because they have the Stark pledged. name means that they should follow her and follow them and how she kind of has this idea of loyalty and, and values that values heritage. But, um, you know, I think that the only way that, I mean, I think that a house like that is past listening to something that the Starks are going to say at this point, whether it's the threat in the North or whether it's rally against um, so we can take back our home. He says to them, I received you on the honor of your father, right? Ned Stark is a guy who can move mountains. And, you know, I, I wept when I, when we wept when he heard, we heard of his death. You know, th these were real powerful things to say to these guys when they arrived, you know, to, to John, to Sansa, to Davos. And I, I believe them. But at the same time, Lord Glover knows that he's not going to be penalized, that they, they don't have, the men, and I think there's some kind of threat in there too, like we'll just come for you too if you refuse us afterwards. But this is a man who knows that there will be no immediate consequences from turning these men away. He's not about to attack the Boltons, whom he said helped secure uh, their castle and, and get it back from the Iron Board to begin with. And he knows that there's no downside to to saying no at this point. And John if has Ned an Stark army of wildings. If Ned Stark were still around, yeah, but I mean, he can shake his, he can, he can, he can turn his nose up at uh, this idea of the wildlings. Oh, you know, they're not like, I, I dared not believe it was true that you've taken up with wildlings. Like, fuck you, dude. They're people. Like, seriously, like, 
we have a That's real easy for army. Us to say. We have a we have a real army. We have a real. I mean, this is a guy who for generations has been fighting the wildlings for centuries. I'm sure the ones who make it over the wall and rape and pillage in the gift and the northern houses are all stick to death of wildlings. I get it. It's a it's a tough sell, but ultimately, I mean, John is is doing this. No, nobody went to strike John dead right then and there. Right? I've talked about this before. How he's anybody in the seven kingdoms can get away with killing him because he's technically a deserter of the, of the wall. Right. Uh, not everybody's going to believe that he came back to, to life. Right. And actually died protecting the realm the way he was supposed to. Uh, so there's some semblance of belief there. They, they treat with him. They understand they, you know, listen to his, his ploy, but then deny it. And I'm just like, dude, where, where do you, where do you come from? But house lovers just rebuilding. That's all they're doing right now. They're just rebuilding. They're not, taking part they're trying to ignore the pressing threat and pressing danger and well, they, they just they, said they that they had just reclaimed Ebud Mott, right they need to be yeah mm-hmm. they, they need to be shown that they there is no safe haven for them not even now yeah mm-hmm. and i guess it was maybe naive of me but i just assumed that it wouldn't that it would be fairly easy for them to sweep up some more northern support um so I was surprised, I guess, I mean, hindsight, it seems like, of course, it was going to be a little bit more difficult, but I had so much faith in our new dream team <laughs> that I, I thought that I, I just assumed that they would be able to roll up and, and get a better response from people. Did, did they, I think they talked to two or three houses off screen. The only reason I think that is because when they're walking into Stannis's camp, uh, the dialogue, they go through the people they've got and it's not just the Mormonts. Um, so I don't know if they were met, if they did manage to get like one or two other houses, um, in between. But not significant enough. I mean, that, Certainly that was not, a yeah. sense that I got from in that the, the manager, these <clears throat> were also mentioned, but, uh, that was during the conversation. Uh, was it with the Glovers when, when they mentioned the Manderleys and, and they hadn't heard anything back yet, but I think so. Ravens. We alluded to this earlier, the, the letter that Sansa sends, uh, which is you know the last of of that of those scenes uh, in the episode. We're assuming that she's sending a letter. I would think to Littlefinger, right? Mm-hmm. My thought was that she was sending it to Littlefinger. Um, I think that she is trying to stall a little bit. I don't know why she just won't come out and tell John that she's got this army in the Vale that can come sweep through and help them. Um, I don't know why she just won't come out with it. I don't know if it's just because she doesn't trust Davos and so she doesn't want him to find out or if she's trying to like be in it for herself, which I don't think is the answer. But I think it's interesting how she's trying to stall John a little bit instead of just coming out and saying, hey, because he's ready to go. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the impression that I got is he's ready to fight. And she's like, well, we can maybe yeah. muster up some more support. And I don't understand why she just won't say, hey, I don't know. We've got all these men that we desperately need. John doesn't really have enough information to mistrust Littlefinger so far as I'm aware, except the knowledge of what he did to Sansa at Winterfell, um, you know, which I'm sure she conveyed to him at this point. But, you know, it it might just be crazy enough to work where, and Davos doesn't, so far as I can recall, have any reason not to trust Littlefinger um, or hasn't interacted with him directly. So, you know, if Littlefinger were to show up, if the men of the Vale were to show up, would they turn them away? I doubt it. Um, you know, they just don't know enough to be suspicious of of, of that. I don't think. Mm-hmm. And and the veil, they could just all, be owing a debt, 
right? I mean, right. certainly there's there's a connection between the Vale and Winterfell, just given Absolutely. the fact of of you know Lysa and and John Aaron and and Ned and and John's you know sort of relationship, if you will, having grown up, um, you know, sort of under the tutelage of of, of John Aaron, both him and Robert Baratheon, so. Uh, there's there's definitely that connection and and of course Robin is Sansa's cousin uh, mm. so mm-hmm. it would make sense and and Robin himself even a few episodes ago said that he wanted to help Sansa but you know as is always the case with Littlefinger you wonder now what the price is going to be he offered the assistance early on and now having passed on it what is the price going to be for Sansa should he indeed come to her rescue. And I worry the price for Sansa as well with her relationship with John. I mean, I, I don't want, I worry so much that there's going to be a rift there or, or that something's going to happen. I just feel like I don't she understand what her motive is in this sense. Right. I mean, it's just a little confusing as why she is keeping such a major thing. The longer she continues down the path of deceit, the more we really worry like and and wonder crazy things about her like is she pregnant um which i mentioned earlier but you know and i have no reason to suspect that other than she's kind of uh acting a little strange and i'm wondering if there aren't more concerns that we're unaware of uh such as that so i'm i'm just not sure mm-hmm. at all uh but she clearly came to john for help i mean i know right. there weren't many options in terms of where she could go right. but right there th- th- I agree. I think it is a little bit odd, that relationship. So uh, we'll have to keep an, an eye on that and continue to explore it further as time goes on. But you know, it's it's also a cause for concern, too. I mean, you never know which side Littlefinger is going to play, assuming it all works to his advantage. And it could all be a trap for them. Uh, you know, yeah. Letting the veil know where they are, what they're up to. If they choose to ally themselves with the Boltons for some reason, uh, you never know. I mean, you never know what Littlefinger is up to, but I, I foresee this battle taking place and the Vale showing up to sort of save the day for John and and company. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But uh, Lots of little pieces I mean, it, that need to fall I mean, together in just the yeah, right I mean, way. The 2,000 wildlings, like they're not just cannon fodder. Like these are the men who have fought the armies of the dead time and time again. And I, I love how that, I loved that scene with the wildlings. Um, I loved everything about it. And, yeah. and these, it, these are seasoned men who, you know, have no uh, obligation necessarily to fight, although some would argue they do, but, but they, they agree to it. And mm-hmm. it's, it's actually a decision. And uh, that, <laughs> that line, uh, we're not clever like you Southerners. When we say something, we'll do it like they will be with John at Winterfell, no matter what. And I, I love that. And also, um, how good did it feel? This might have been like the third episode, if not the second, the third, without Ramsey uh, in it. Third episode mm-hmm. of this season, like in a row, without Ramsey. Oh, and I, I, I did well, not miss the him. fact that he's not there. Nobody I felt will so die. damn good about it. I'm like, <laughs> this episode is great. I'm on no cloud will nine. Be eaten by dogs or unceremoniously stabbed. Yeah, he was kind of there the with absence. Theon, though. He was kind of there uh, with Theon. Yeah. I mean, if you think his, about it. His mark, his, yeah. I, look, I, I just, and that was a little close for comfort for me. Um, but I, I felt very relieved, again, that we did not. I, I love the abs. I love that actor, but I also like his absence a whole heck of a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe next episode. Only uh, mm. 
Only time will tell, but one character that uh, we did get to see, which is always a uh, treat to watch on screen, her younger version may have uh, appeared in Liana Mormont, but the Queen of Thorns, <laughs> she pulls no punches. I love her. I love her. She had... These scenes with her were so incredible. Um, I really loved... I mean, just the look on her face when we're, we're back in King's Landing and, and she's having these conversations with Marjorie... Um, which Marjorie was wearing her crown, which I thought she must be very happy about to have that on her head. Um, but her face, when she's talking to Marjorie about wanting to send her away to Highgarden, and she's just like, what are you doing? And I love that moment when Marjorie uh, folds, folds up that piece of paper with, with the rose on it and gives it to her and um, kind of to assure her of, you need to leave, you need to get out of here, and everything's going to be okay. I got it under control. Um, that was, I mean, I it was so perfect. That. It was so simple. The rose, you know. <sighs> I love the, the fact that she's sitting there at the table writing when Cersei walks in and she just continues to focus on what she, she's very much Tywin. Uh, she reminds me a lot of Tywin. She's going about her business, but yet she can still keep track of the conversation, slip in those little one-liners, and she just goes at Cersei. Not only that, but Franken Mountain is standing ten feet away from her, <laughs> she if not care. closer, and she <laughs> doesn't give a shit. Can mm-hmm. we can we talk about how that scene ended? Because Cersei was pretty much trembling with anger. I felt that was when the scene cut. When the scene finally cuts away, I was I would I would have been not surprised at all had we seen if that scene had continued like another thirty seconds. Cersei telling the Mountain Franken Mountain Robert Strong, whoever we're going to call him, to strangle her to death. Just so Cersei could watch, uh, because I, I thought at that moment that she would have gotten pleasure out of nothing else, uh, such as then seeing Lady Elena killed uh, in front of her. I really thought that was going to happen right mm-hmm. then and there. Uh, well, Cersei, because it was such a Arya. successful, it was such a <laughs> successful takedown of uh, of of Cersei and everything she stands for. And, oh yeah, and, but she it does was, it all the time. It's not like this was yeah. a one time thing. I and mean, this is probably the fifth time or more that she's done this to Cersei in her presence to her face with no reservation at all. This felt conclusive. This felt somehow like an ending to me. Well, you hear, you hear Olena say, Lady Olena say, you have no support. And so I think that this is different for Cersei this time because Cersei realizes how alone she is. I mean, she, there's nobody backing her up. And then later Lena kind of goes through the list of Jamie's gone. She doesn't have her family behind her side. Like they're the all of King's Landing hates her. And so she's got no one to fall back onto yep. except for the mountain, which I mean, if you're going to have anybody to fall back onto. Yeah, it's a pretty good, pretty good whatever to have. I don't yeah. know what to <laughs> classify him as. But yeah, I mean, think about it. Kevin, her uncle, is not loyal to her or so it seems in any way. Tommen has drifted off to the High Sparrow, and the sh- the that's man about that it. She calls a, a shoeless zealot in this episode. That was my favorite. Well, and, <laughs> and she takes responsibility. I mean, she owns up to the fact that it's her fault that they've mm-hmm. been able to really seize control of the city. Mm-hmm. And Gosh. the Queen of Thorns says, yeah, you're responsible <laughs> for that and a whole lot more. I wonder if you're the worst person I've ever met. At my age, it's hard to remember. I was oh, literally going to quote it at the same time. Um, yeah, it's 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 just it it was such a good scene, and I I really wonder what's up Marjorie's sleeves. Nice fringed 
sleeves now. Yeah, um, she's clearly up to something. So something I was thinking about, and this could just be all over the place, but I was just thinking about Marjorie being called out for not giving Tom an heir yet or not joining him in the marriage bed, however the High Sparrow <laughs> says that. And I'm wondering if that's part of her strategy, if, if she just, her getting pregnant or her bearing child for Tommen means that she's then connected to their family. And so if she's right. able to just kind of get out of this with just her, um, I definitely think that Tommen is going to be, and, and we talked about this a little bit, last week without you Micah but I think that Tom is going to end up being collateral damage almost in in Marjorie's um, ploy for power because you see that crown on her head and in my mind she's got everything she's ever wanted and she's said that before that she's in it to win it she's in it to become the queen whatever that means and so whatever steps it's going to take to get there I definitely think that Tom is going to fall by the wayside um, unfortunately for him Certainly possible. Something that wasn't said uh, by Cersei, it said said to her leading up to it. You know, when Lady Olenna is suggesting that Cersei leave King's Landing, and that's a, I think that's a great suggestion, but we know it's not going to happen. And she mm-hmm. says, "I will not leave my son." But what occurred to me as that scene was happening, I was watching it for the first time. I was like, you know, she's really a glutton for, for punishment. She's condemning herself to witness her son's death. Say that Tommen is marked for dead, um, you know, that Marjorie betrays him, uh, makes that some kind of deal where she can rule as just queen without a king of Westeros, you know, hundred things could happen. But Cersei's going to be there to witness it, and it's all because this prophecy said she would, right? She's not going to leave. I think leaving King's Landing would actually protect him in a way if we set a hundred percent in store by the prophecy, because she's supposed to be witnessing his death. But that's why that's the only thing that's holding her there, I think. Is is this notion that she could do something to prevent his death by being there? But well, she'd I, I really do anything for her can. children. I mean, that's what she said. Yeah. The only the only truth that she knows is loving her children, and so I think that mm-hmm. there's no other options for her. I agree. I I think that Tommen ultimately will be collateral damage, uh, as as you put it. It's it's unfortunate, but I, you know it, it's always the case with prophecies, right? Is that once it's foretold. You wonder how much of it is circumstance or how much is it the people knowing what is supposed to happen, they take the steps to try to avoid it. And it's those steps that ultimately lead them in the direction of it becoming fulfilled. And uh, for Tommen, it it doesn't seem like things are going to work out uh, too well for him in the next few episodes, but we'll see. Marjorie is definitely a power player. I don't see her you know, going down so easily. Uh, and for Cersei, I think that uh, she's going to have to find a way to get herself out, whether it's of King's Landing or just of the situation that she's in. I mean, she, she should have taken the advice that Ned gave her all the way back in season one mm-hmm. uh, prior <laughs> to Robert Baratheon's death, which was take your kids and go. Yeah. If only, if only, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe Bran can go back and... Uh, Tell us that. Mess with time? Yeah, maybe he can. <laughs> I prefer he doesn't. Yeah, but that would be cool. <laughs> so this was an episode that was jam-packed with returns uh, from the Hound to Braun to Blackfish. And like I said, it, it really was one of my favorite episodes so far this season. Eric, you said it was your favorite. Yeah, uh, I just love that, that it was at its core, 
I mentioned this earlier, uh, really, uh, what what I think about when I think about Game of Thrones, and mm. you know, there was this little bit of magic on on the surface, not too much of it, uh, which we know it's going to continuously play a, a larger role moving forward. Uh, but just all the different strategic elements uh, with the North, with the Riverlands, even across the Narrow Sea. So I'm sure we'll jump into more of this later on uh, in the week when we get to our owns episode. Mm-hmm. But for now, I think. We need to give our owns of this episode hmm. because that's what we do here. And uh, there were plenty of opportunities. I mean, if somebody doesn't give at least one to Liana Mormont, I'm we're just going to stop the show right now. <laughs> well, you the know, I have, over. <laughs> I have four owns I can't decide bet- between. Four. Yeah, I have two that I'm, I'm not really going like. to. I'm not going to give them all, but uh, but if anybody has Liana Mormont, you should jump now. <laughs> Go for it. It's all you. It wasn't I me. Something. I don't have one of the ones oh, I, I don't, don't have. have. I wasn't, oh, getting, wow. I wasn't getting my own to her either. I don't want Micah to get to get angry with us uh, here, but uh, I have so many to choose from. And although she was amazing, they're not. Let's just her. say she owned the episode, and we, then we can give our own individual ones. Uh, she owned the episode okay. over the hound. Yeah, I mean. All right. Anyway, let, let, let's just <laughs> okay. How, where's Eric, where's go. gonna net out? Who's going first? Where's this gonna net out? I, Eric, I'm not gonna give all four because that's. Just pretty kidding. sure that breaks all the rules we've ever set. Uh, <laughs> all right, here's my four part on. Uh, Ian McShane Septon, violence is a disease. You don't cure a disease by spreading it to other people. What a great line. Uh, to which Rory McCann, the hound, replies, you don't by dying either. Uh, you know what? It's just going to be a two-parter. Um, my, my real own goes to the Blackfish for measuring... Jamie Lannister, Jamie in his brand new, you know, great looking armor shows up to save the day, to show the phrase how it's done. And the Blackfish owns him 10 ways to Sunday and asks him specifically, do you wish to resume your captivity? I mean, <laughs> this is such a badass such a good moment. gentleman. I mean, what the hell are you doing if you're not loving every minute of everything that comes out of the blackfish's mouth so own blackfish it's a good own that's a good own um i'll get my next i am gonna give my own to lady olena for her line of calling the high sparrow a shoeless zealot because (laughs) i just like can't stop thinking about how he never wears shoes and so i'm happy that she uh made a great joke about that she made note of that yeah own to lady olena on fire. Do you remember what she said to uh, the Olella lady? Um, You're not in your sanctuary now. My men will stroll in here and bash you until I tell them to stop. If I tell them to stop. Yeah, she was, she's on a she roll. Just, she's, yeah. she's on fire. Yeah, I forgot. I, I actually during the uh, the episode tweeted out about that particular scene, said something along the lines of between the High Sparrow talking with Marjorie about needing to, you know, cater to Tommen's needs and <laughs> uh, Septon Anella just being like this really creepy hovering individual is like a bad episode of Sister Act. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no lines this episode that I can recall. She had excellent presence. Yes. Um, and speaking of presence, uh, my own for this episode goes to one, one, who was just chilling there during the wildlings meeting with John and Davos and Sansa. And they basically just looked to him 
for a decision and he says snow and mic drops mm. and you know i i have to say i'm impressed he's learning the common tongue yeah. you know he's he's on the side of the wildlings and on the side of of john so well, it's like, hey, what, what is that saying the eskimos have like a hundred words for snow you know it's like <laughs> they, they do see enough of it up there but yeah i, I i'm with you on it. he totally understood yes. what was going on and what and, i what i really liked <laughs> about that was you see one one as he's like as i said mike drops and then walks off mm. and then immediately shifts to the scene with cersei walking in the mountain behind her <laughs> you can see the stark contrast between how tall one one is like you always think the mountain is being like this hulking badass motherfucker but in the scene before it you see one one and you realize he's actually like you know what a hundred times bigger than him yeah, one one could take him down <sighs> in two seconds him. yeah I thought he was so, going to step on John for anyway. a second there. Yeah. But, uh, so good well, owns. I, I like yeah. these. And I know that, uh, we got many, many, many that were sent into us, uh, during the episode and after the episode on Twitter. The Twitter feed was buzzing throughout, uh, tonight's episode. Love it. Uh, but please feel free, uh, to continue to send in your owns. We will get to them on Wednesday's episode. And, uh, there are a number of ways that you can do that. Yes. First and foremost, over on Twitter, and we do live tweet these episodes, Micah Killed It Another Night, Micah Killed It Again. Tweet us uh, after or during the episode at Game of Owns, or go to Game of Owns, or go to twitter.com slash Game of Owns to check out our feed, all our retweets, and our funny live tweets during the show. That's over on Twitter. On Facebook, uh, we do a call for owns after the episode airs. You can share those with us scrolling uh, by scrolling upon our Facebook wall, facebook.com slash game of owns. And uh, also email contact at game of is our email address. Don't wear it out. And you can send all your longer format letters of owns, ownage or appreciation to us there. <laughs> and nobody appreciates us the way we appreciate you, the listeners for being and taking part every week in this very excellent social experiment. Mm -hmm. It's a social experiment. You're like secretly that. all being tested, yes. <laughs> That's not creepy at all. We've revealed it. We should mention that over on Watchers, um, before we record our episode in the midweek, we ask a couple discussion questions for people to yes. participate and give their feedback and answers that help shape the discussion that we have on our midweek episode. So head over to Watchers on the Wall sometime early this week if you want to participate. We, got, we have so much incredible feedback every week um, about the different discussion questions that are yet to be mm -hmm. determined that we put up there. So if you want to participate in more than just sending in your own, so you can also join in the conversation there and uh, kind of dive deeper into moments that we loved from the episode. Absolutely. Like you said, there's always a lot of great feedback and interesting feedback. And, you know, while something like Twitter is good for the instant feedback, I love kind of reading through all the comments that people make uh, over on Watchers. They're always very well thought through. Mm -hmm. Something happened uh, over the past week, you guys, which is that we got a new month of the year. It is June. It is another month for our Patreon supporters over on patreon.com slash goo to reap the rewards and benefits of being a supporter of our show, namely the Squadcast, Squad of Ice and Fire, uh, which we do. We record uh, briefly before our episodes, before our Game of Bones episodes, so when the content is extremely fresh uh, and you can find all sorts of shenanigans yet to come as well for our upcoming 
public appearances together with each other. Looking very, very forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, more about that later. And uh, really just Game of Owns uh, has a Patreon and you should check out the reward tiers and see if it's something that you can get behind. Um, we have our small council whom we love and adore. Uh, we read their owns uh, every week on the show, which you will have heard. And uh, really, it's just a great community and a great, great crew, great squad. And it's also Hannah's favorite podcast. It's also my favorite podcast. That same it something. Is. Not this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not the one I'm and, on. And <laughs> uh, one other way that you can uh, interact with the show, as many of you have been doing this season, is over on iTunes. Just leave us a rate and review. Uh, as Eric mentioned, is the month of June, so nothing less than five stars is acceptable. And uh, I figured I'd read a few here. Uh, we got one from DJ Chris Baker, who says, I drink and I know things. He <laughs> says, I drink and I know things. And the one thing I know for certain is that Game of Owns is the king of Game of Thrones podcast. Long may they reign. That uh, might be a... Uh, I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. You should put that on a t-shirt. You should put that that's on a pretty, t-shirt. That's pretty, that's Although pretty I'm, darn. Although I'm kind of concerned about reigning in, in Westeros. It doesn't work out for... Most people. True. Mm. True. <laughs> There's also Piaf Princess who says it is known. This has become one of my favorite Game of Thrones recap podcasts. Intelligent discussion and speculation added humor with a nice mix of book and show knowledge. Podcasters even have pleasant sounding voices and added bonus. Highly you know they're talking about you, Micah. It is known. Yeah, it's definitely that's <laughs> definitely <laughs> Micah's comment. <laughs> but thank you. We velvety blanket you. No Saj three says wow. Fantastic dialogue, thoughts, and opinions. Great people, great show. Better than the other Game of Thrones podcasts out there. Highly recommend. And finally, from Boy Has No Name, says, This is the best Game of Thrones podcast you will listen to, whether it is the banter, the theories, the predictions, or the interviews. Hodor. They bring it every week. Sometime I look forward to hearing their views about the episode more than watching the episodes themselves. Uh, Then I go back and watch the show again, and it is mind-blowing what they will open your eyes to. Must listen, must subscribe. That's Sounds so like a awesome. good show, guys. I'm going to subscribe to it. So we, we <laughs> honestly, uh, we do appreciate all these uh, reviews that you give the show, Very and much so. uh, especially during the season, as you can see, there are a lot of people who find out that uh, we exist. And one way for them to find out that we exist is by you mm-hmm. leaving your feedback. It helps us jump up the charts in the iTunes store. So. Uh, we thank you very much, uh, of course, uh, for reviewing the show, but, uh, you know, appreciate you listening and sending in your feedback every single week mm-hmm. um, during the season. That's it. Guys, that does it. Until later <laughs> right. on in the week, Zach will be back. Can't wait to hear uh, his thoughts on The Hound um, yeah. coming back. So he's he's coming back and The Hound is coming back. So, you know, it's going to be a good episode. There's still probably so much more to talk about. The three questions, Hannah, that you mentioned always provide a lot more insight into things that we discuss uh, immediately following the episode so i can't wait me neither i can't even begin to predict what the next three total episodes will have but we're gonna try a lannister always pays don't say it don't fucking say it (laughs)